Welcome to That's What She Said, a podcast of sermons at Galileo Christian Church, Disciples of Christ. Galileo exists to seek and shelter spiritual refugees, who for us are people for whom the church has become boring, irrelevant, exclusive, or even painful, especially people who have been pushed out because of their gender or sexuality. If you yourself are a spiritual refugee, we're especially glad you're listening. And if you find this podcast helpful in your theological rehabilitation, consider partnering with us in its production. Become a financial sponsor of That's What She Said on Patreon, a platform for supporting content you love. Thanks! Hi, church. My name is Lauren. My pronouns are she, her. For the past several weeks, we've been in a series entitled Astounded, wherein the crowds are astounded by Jesus because he's teaching as one with authority, not like the religious leaders around him. We'll continue in this series tonight with a reading from Matthew 9 and 10, but before we get to that, we need to make room for a content consideration. I have found our Matthew story for tonight very beautiful, but at the end of the story, there is mention of a different story that is very unbeautiful. That is Genesis 19, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. I won't spend a lot of time in the sermon talking about it, but it's important to acknowledge that the mention of Sodom and Gomorrah can be incredibly painful for some, as it's been weaponized against LGBTQ plus people for a very, very long time. Katie has written an article about this story, and we've posted it on Facebook, so you can learn more about what Genesis 19 is really about. But for now, I want to say this. Sodom and Gomorrah is not a story, as some of us were taught, about God's opposition to mutual, consensual, queer love. It is, however, a story about God's outright disdain for heinous inhospitality, namely a mob who hoards power and misuses it to such a degree that this mob threatens sexual violence against vulnerable guests who were sent from God. This kind of behavior was an ancient Near Eastern tactic to express dominance over another person or group, and God hates it. God hates such use of power and inhospitality, and we'll see in our reading tonight that Jesus hates it too. This is a reading from Matthew 9, 35 through 10, 15. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Then Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to cure every disease and every sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, also known as Peter and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the Canaanian, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus 
sent out with the following instructions. Do not take a road leading to the Gentiles and do not enter a Samaritan town, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, proclaim the good news. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those with a skin disease, cast out demons. You received without payment, give without payment. Take no gold or silver or copper in your belts, no bag for your journey, or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for laborers deserve their food. Whatever town or village you enter, find out who in it is worthy and stay there until you leave. As you enter the house, greet it. If the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet as you leave that house or town. Truly, I tell you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. When I was 15 years old, my dad and I walked proudly out of the Hearst, Texas DMV with my driver's permit in hand. I had never driven a car before, but I had witnessed my fair share of drivers and been frequently coached by my dad about the idiocy of everyone else on the road. So I felt confident that I would be a responsible citizen behind the wheel when the time came. However, Any shred of confidence I once possessed abruptly dissipated when we got about 10 feet away from my dad's 1980-something burgundy-looking Buick LeSabre, which us kids called the Sabe, and he tossed me the keys and said, let's get on the highway, you're driving home. I replied, maybe we should start in our neighborhood, like our cul-de-sac. But Bill Sierra insisted, Lauren, the highway is the easiest place to learn. (laughs) Merging onto 183 East and taking the 121 North overpass while driving approximately 65 miles per hour was not my idea of the easiest place to learn how to drive. But alas, after learning the hard way that you're actually supposed to put your foot on the brake before putting the car in drive, we made our way home, slowly. (laughs) Both us and the Sabe unscathed. It was baffling to me that I was authorized to drive at all, let alone on the highway. While this newfound authority came with excitement, it also terrified me. Soon I'd be able to drive a car by myself, which meant some 16-year-old autonomy, but it also came with a level of fear for all the things that could go wrong. All of that to say, I knew that a simple piece of paper from the DMV gave me some kind of authority, an authority of any kind in the hands of humanity including my own hands, is terrifying to me. The human family has a track record of leveraging authority and power in the most unimaginable ways. Throughout our human history, we have allocated authority and with it so, so much power to leaders and systems who have favored a specific gender, sexuality, religion, nationality, race, language, age, etc. We've leveraged power for gain, And we've confined siblings in the human family to all kinds of injustice, spanning from Genesis, the book of our beginnings, to present day. And tonight, especially here at Galileo Church, I would be remiss if I failed to mention spiritual authority. 
Maybe we share a background in which the phrase is the authority of the church, the authority of the pastor, or the authority of scripture were frequent reminders of who and what held the power of which you were to submit, even if that system, person, or interpretation robbed pieces of your humanity. How often have the very religious hoarded authority and used it to control people with fear rather than empower people with liberation? And Jesus knows something about this. He knows firsthand about tending to people shackled by fear and shame by religious systems. He knows something about finding people who have been pushed with force, who have been shoved with the power of religious texts and traditions to the margins because of their diseases and their demons. And in our text today, Matthew tells us, chapter 9, verse 36, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. I wonder if Jesus had Ezekiel 34 running through his mind. It begins with an indictment on religious leaders. It says this, Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with wool, you slaughter the fatted calf, but you do not feed the sheep. You have not strengthened the weak, you have not healed the sick, You have not bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays. You have not sought the loss. But with force and harshness, you have ruled them. My sheep were scattered. They wandered all over the mountains with no one to search or to seek for them. For thus says the Lord God, I myself will search for my sheep. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And I will have them lie down. I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strays, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. I will feed them with justice. So Jesus surveys the great crowd who look like malnourished sheep without a shepherd, and he desperately wants to feed them with justice. But Jesus only has so many hands. He sees that the reign of God, God gets everything God wants, harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So he tosses the keys of his authority and power to the disciples, pats them on the butt, and tells them to go get on the highway and feed these sheep with justice, a.k.a. chapter 10, verses 7 and 8. Proclaim the good news. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those with a skin disease, cast out demons. Jesus does not hoard his authority or his power to get fat off the backs of wounded sheep. Instead, he shares his authority. He gives it away so that more sheep will be fed, mended, washed, so that more sheep with low-hanging heads might be lifted up to meet eyes with a compassionate shepherd, to learn to graze anew under the reign of the loving God. But I imagine these disciples have some thoughts and some questions before this journey. James, the son of Zebedee, is wrestling with some imposter syndrome. He's starting to wonder if maybe he should begin in his cul-de-sac. Maybe he'll try out some words of affirmation before he gets to the bit about casting out demons and raising the dead. Simon, also known as Peter, is already out the door in excitement before hearing all of the instructions. Matthew, the tax collector, is assessing whether or not he should have left his booth from a couple of weeks ago because this all just got a little too weird. The other James raises his hand, Jesus, where are we supposed to go? 
Jesus replies, you can only go to the lost sheep of Israel. No Gentiles, no Samaritans on this journey. Don't worry, we will get there, you'll see. But for right now, Judas interrupts, what can we bring with us? Not a lot. No money, Judas. No bag, no extra tunic, no sandals, no staff. And whatever town or village you enter, find whoever is worthy and stay there. Peter pops his head back in. How do we know who's worthy? The one who is worthy is the one who lets you in. The one who is hospitable. If they don't welcome you, if they're not hospitable, shake the dust off your feet and move on. And off the disciples go. Jesus' instructions are, in, instructions are interesting to me. He tells them not to take anything, not an extra pair of clothes, not even sandals or a staff to protect themselves. The disciples have all this authority and all this power, but if you saw them walking down the road, it wouldn't really look like it. Bare feet and empty-handed, they wouldn't look powerful. They'd look vulnerable. They would be vulnerable. And in their vulnerability, they have to rely on the hospitality of complete strangers, which makes for a vulnerable experience for everyone. The disciples knock on the door with rumbling bellies, mud caked between their toes, hoping for a safe place to stay with a decent thread count. And the potential host who opens the door must assess these vulnerable guests standing on the porch and come to trust that these people, who are also complete strangers, are not entering under false pretense before they open up their home their family, and their lives to them. To me, it would have been a whole lot easier if the disciples had some funds to rent a couple of Subaru Outbacks for the tough terrain, share a decent Airbnb, and get a couple of gift cards to Chipotle. But no, it seems that hospitality is the hinge on which this whole good news, liberation, reign of God door all swings. Why is that? And why does Jesus have such disdain for inhospitality? Ultimately, I don't know, but here are some of my thoughts. Hospitality honors personhood. These disciples have a lot of authority in their hands, and Jesus seems to have zero interest in his representatives strolling up as if they have no need for anyone or anything else. It could be tempting with all that authority and power to assume I have everything you need, but you have nothing to offer me. I have all the answers and you have all the problems. In this story, hospitality recognizes that everyone has something of value to contribute and everyone, guest and host, gets to participate in this beautiful, liberative effort. Not only that, hospitality allows for people to be seen by one another. There is face-to-face, -face, intimate, and vulnerable trust that honors the person in front of you when you're hospitable. When you lose hospitality, when you lose that face-to-face, -face, intimate, vulnerable bond, distance is created between people, and the less and less human a person can become in your mind, and the more and more probable it can become to see a person as a thing, a commodity, a belonging, an other. Jesus' caution toward inhospitality challenges me to wonder how many decisions and laws have been made, are being made, about people we don't even know, whose stories we've never really heard, with whom we've never shared a meal. We don't need to hear other people's stories. We'll just write our own narratives about them. 
But the way of hospitality disrupts that kind of echo chamber. The way of hospitality is so up close. In the words of researcher Brene Brown, people are hard to hate up close. Move in, hold hands with strangers. When hospitality doesn't happen, I think Jesus takes it personally. Because when there's not a moving closer, but rather a moving away, or when a hand is not open to be held, but rather a fist to be thrust, when a stranger is not a story to learn, but a threat to my land, we eventually get stories like Sodom and Gomorrah. We eventually get so many stories that are so horribly heinous, where people are seen as things to possess and bodies to be used. Stories where authority and power are forceful, coercive, and bullying. So, so antithetical to the astounding, hospitable, vulnerable authority of Jesus. The one who was the embodiment of good news, who vulnerably knocked on the door of the world, reliant on the hospitality of his mother's womb in a manger. In church, when you've mustered up all the courage to knock on a door, with all the hopes you'd be welcomed in to share the good news of God's reign, the good news of celebrated neurodiversity, beautiful inclusivity of LGBTQ plus people, liberation from shame you've held so long, a seat at the communion table just as you are, and the door is shut in your face, it's incredibly painful but you have to wipe the dust off your feet and keep moving. All that mud gathered up on your feet from the long journey, all the fear of rejection built up around your ankles, all that anxiety caked between your toes from walking up to the doorstep, wipe it off. Find a good curb to slide that foot down and leave that crap there. Don't hold on to it. It's too heavy for this journey. And then keep moving. Keep moving. There are people who will see you vulnerable and hungry, waiting to be welcomed in. And the door will be flung open and you will be met with joy. And you will share a meal, clink a glass, tell a story that turns into 10 stories, lose track of time, crawl into a bed in which you know you are safe and wake up in a house where you get the sense that you are no longer a stranger in the world. Not anymore. We know it's true. Because almost no one makes it to Galileo without first getting crap all over their feet and some doors slammed in their face. We've all been weary and hungry and vulnerable and yet also have a strong sense that we really do have some beauty and goodness to offer the world God still loves. And we've been so close to stopping, so close to pulling the plug on our journey when that janky, rickety, big red barn door flung open and you saw Cynthia's face, or the chat for Inside Out opened and you saw Missy's name, and there was a seat at the table for us, and Steph saying, welcome home, gather round, all you spiritual refugees come in, and you no longer felt like a stranger, not anymore. We have to keep moving, whatever it takes to share this good news with the world God still loves, scraping crap off, our, off of our feet when we need to, we have to keep welcoming, making room inside for our siblings who have been outside for far too long, vulnerable, longing to be fed with justice. Those whom God has empowered with so much beauty to offer the world, 
but whose voices have been muted by a different authority and power for far too long. Amen. Thanks for listening to That's What She Said. If what you've heard is helpful, consider becoming a patron of its production by joining our subscribers on Patreon. This podcast is preached almost always by our lead evangelist, Reverend Dr. Katie Hayes. Galileo Church has five missional priorities. We do justice for LGBTQ plus people and support the people who love them. We do kindness around mental health and mental illness, and we celebrate neurodiversity. We do beauty for our God who is beautiful. We do real relationship, no bullshit, ever. And we do whatever it takes to share this good news with the world God still loves. To support our missional priorities, go to GalileoChurch.org and click on Share With Us. You'll have options to contribute through Venmo, PayPal, or your bank account. And if you're kind enough to share your contact information with us, we'll continually send you thanks. Peace. Peace.